0: You know what it is you know what it ain't it's your boy floshe Ray, you know my name, you know my gang, and I'm doing what I usually do talking that talk, and I'm not here at an undisclosed location this time. I'm at the corner if you don't know you should know um that's eighty eighty eight thirty
1: eight arbor creek drive
0: eighty eight thirty eight arbor creek drive um and I'm here with the owner uh so much more than that, we will definitely get into that I'm um, glad y'all here you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us right now and this is no further ado this is Miss Amy uh Amy Gowdy, if we want to even be technical yes. but yes or this boo is Or Boo Gowdy, you know Yeah yeah Boo Sometimes Yeah <laughs> sometimes all right So oh man you got so much we we well we got history together as far Next. as you know so much you done for uh my friends me myself and just Charlotte honestly Who who was who Who is Miss Amy? Um,
1: well, lately I've been calling myself the Oracle, like the lady from the Matrix who makes the cookies, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, people come and talk to me. Um, but I'm also a businesswoman. Uh, I'm definitely a mother. Um, I'm the godmother with a capital T and a capital G.
0: There you go. Um, <laughs> tell them.
1: Um, You know, I mean, I'm nice, I guess, but I'm also, you know, not to be fucked with. So, you know, I mean, I think that's a good balance, right?
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. So uh, with how I met you, I'll I'll say um, this was probably. I don't even remember when I I met you. Okay, we'll hit you with that story. Yeah, look, so I I remember when we met. So um, I don't know what year it was. I know that it was probably about.
1: Probably 2013. Yeah, okay. I would say right around
0: there. All right, so we're going to go with 2013. we'll take that. we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. we'll take that. <laughs> so, uh, Moolah had said that it's this woman I want y'all to meet. You know, she I, I've talked to her, and she wanted to manage me. You know, she wanted to... Oh, yeah, actually, that, you
1: know, I do remember. Mm-hmm. It was the radio rehab show that Forever FC did, and he opened for them, and... um. um you guys were there, and I think that's when I first met you because I knew him. He had come over with Jimmy, but it was right. at, it was at mm-hmm. that show because you guys, you and she, came to that show. Yes, and that's when I met you guys. Okay, yep. oh, I do remember. And
0: then I remember coming to the dojo. Like, I mean, it, that was just a whole experience within itself. I mean, I even
1: you gonna tell them what the dojo
0: is? Y- yeah, look, I was about to say <laughs> uh, if with, with the dojo. I mean, it's it's a uh, in house studio where. The magic happens shit uh, <laughs> I, for real it, it is i mean i usually i i when I describe it to people i say if if you want it to be anybody in music in a certain uh span, you came through the dojo like it's it's not even a it's not a question it's a fact so it it's it's starting off even with forever f c that was um the well, was that your first crack at the, the music here? No,
1: well, so, I mean, I... I oh, yeah, you it, tell me. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, so, you know, people heard the story, um, but I was into hip-hop promotion when I lived in Colorado. So this was in the, the mid-'90s. And I moved to Charlotte, and I kind of got out of it, but it was still, you know, I, I always loved hip-hop. I was involved in hip-hop. And Ryan, hi, I'm Rye, um lived down the street and he came to the house i'm not going to get into all the details but came to the house with some friends we got to talking and um when i told him that what i had done in colorado he was like oh i've got these friends they're doing they were doing ufo i don't know if you remember that but they were doing parties oh yeah this was this was this was uh 2008 2009 Mm -hmm. and so they were trying to do parties and he was like oh can you help them and you know so then people just started coming around and people just started hanging out at my house and, you know, probably the fact that I people smoke in my garage was probably part of it. And, you know, I would basically bake cookies. It really was like I was making chicken tenders and fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> um, but, you know, people just started hanging out. And so then when I found out that, you know, that there was people who wanted to rap, okay, well, I know the industry. I don't want y'all to get screwed over, so I'll manage you. But really, I never was a manager. Now that now that I really understand the industry and understand like what a manager does, I was really more of a record label even before I was a record label because I was investing, having the studio. Um, I, you know, funny story. The reason the reason we got the studio was because Lute was recording at Brian Gandy's house, and Brian Gandy's parents did gospel recording in their studio, and. They kept hearing Luke. And Luke didn't And Luke, Luke, yeah. Luke, Luke, Luke doesn't know how to well, not curse. Well, he gospel curse. to us. <laughs> right. But he don't know how not to curse. And they had a no cursing policy, and Luke could not abide by that policy. So I was like, oh, God, okay. So I had extra space in my house, which is what we now call the dojo. And so I went and bought equipment so that they could record in my house, so they would have a place to record that we didn't have to pay for recording time. And then from there, to your point everybody word kind of got out and so then you know people were creating music there producers were coming uh, people were collabing you know if if somebody wanted to do a feature they would come through so you know most pretty much almost every rapper with the exception of a few um has at least come through my house once if not if not seen it (laughs) right if not hung out and you know recorded um so yeah so then and then it you know it ended up also being a a a space for people to to collab not just collab musically but also to engage with each other I mean the number of deep conversations even you and I've had um you know people coming and asking for me for my advice we've had parties there um you know there's been a lot of communal activity um and so I I always you know I think about it and I grew up that way you know my mom my parents um were very active in the church, but the 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 Bible studies that was like the college Bible study would be at my house. Um, my mom was youth director at a church for a while. And then, um, you know, every kid that ran away from home that my parents would let sleep on the couch. There was exchange foreign exchange students would come and live. So, like, I grew up having a, a people in my house, so it was just a natural progression for me to have people in my house.
0: Right, so, okay, okay let's... We're gonna go, go into, uh, how everyone knows you, but people don't know other sides of you, your upbringing. So what, I mean, where, where are you, where were you born?
1: Um, I was born in Chicago. Um, I'm biracial, but I was raised by white people. Um, I say that proudly though, because they, they knew what they were getting with me. They actually had to, you know, this is crazy. I was born in 66, before all the miscegenation laws got reversed. So when I was born, um, I could not legally be adopted into a white family nor into a black family because transracial adoption was illegal. And so because I was adopted within the family, my, my uh, mother who raised me is my biological aunt, um, they had to sign papers saying that they knew I was of Negro descent and would not return me to the state. And so then um, and then my, they adopted my sisters who were, um uh pacific islander and white they were also biracial and so my parents decided that they didn't want us as white and middle west midwestern as they were they were aware enough that they didn't want us to have to deal with racism so they moved us to california so i really grew up racially neutral um because you know especially in the 80s 70s and 80s it was like hippies you know everybody was it was it was right. a lot more free love then than there is today right, right? progressive yeah that's it was, where it, was, was, it started yeah well, it was it was what it was we right, know right it was coming right off the civil rights movement and um so I really didn't deal with anything racially charged until I got to college but also musically I grew up um, my parents were both music majors when they met. And so my father, um, you know, white guy, but played in a jazz band, played upright bass. Um, so my so and then um, my, one of my sisters listened to nothing but like Super Tramp and Elton John and David Bowie. My other sister listened to nothing but R&B, Stevie Wonder you know, uh, Martha and the Shirelles or whatever. Martha, I can't remember her name, but, you I'm, know, I'm I, I see sure, the, I honestly. see the record cover. <laughs> um, in, over there in the, the case is actually the original Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life that I still have from 1970 whenever, that when it came out. Um, and then my mother was an operatic soprano and listened to, you know, classical. So I grew up, even though I have zero talent, my parents, you know, taught piano lessons, taught vocal lessons. So I, I grew up around music with them. Um, But I also grew up in a very open, very engaged environment. Um, And then uh, in California, I lived in California most of my life. And then I moved to Denver um, when in like 1994. um, And that's really where I got very involved in hip hop culture because it was such a small, was so small and compact. I used to tell people there's only 25 black people in Denver and 15 of them played for the Broncos. So, um, who I knew. I knew all 15 that played for the Broncos. Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you go to my Facebook, you'll see pictures. So, um, so then I, I got very involved. I did, like, you know, I mentioned before, I did promotions. I did an event with the Lost Boys, I did an event with the Rock Nation, Onyx. Um, you know, promoters usually cover each other. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, you get me in my show, I'll get you in yours. So I was backstage for pretty much any event. Um, Mob Deep, Buster Rhymes, uh, um, Leaders of the New School, um, De La Soul, um, you know, just any anybody who came through Denver, I was backstage hanging out with them. Um, Redman. Um, So, in fact, actually, we did. We promoted the Red Mansion. Now I think about it. So, you know, I I was very involved in that. And then, like I said, in 2000,
0: I moved here. So. So what about your uh, your father? What what do you. Oh, my biological father? Yeah, because you you talked about, you know, your mother's side and your your stepdad that, you know, you were that raised you. Well, your aunt, correct? Yeah. Well, then,
1: his. Well, my, my parents. He they they adopted me when I was six months old. So as far as they're my parents, right? That's my I mom, mean, my dad. I'm, but, correct? Okay. But, but my biological father, I actually um, met him because I was in the family. So you know, we mm-hmm. kind of my grandma helped me find him, and when I was twenty-four, I met him, and it was so crazy because again, racially neutral. Race was never really an issue for me. Um, you know, John Amos, who you, you might know of from Coming to America in Good Times, that was my godfather. They lived across the street from me, right? So wow. at, five <laughs> year, at five years old, you know, that's that's the representation of a black man. So it's funny because everybody calls him America's father. No, that's my, like, I claim him. That's like, and, and his daughter and I are still best friends. So I grew up in a very diverse environment. That being said, I, you know, being as fair as I am, I couldn't really um, understand being a, being a black person I knew I felt different and I claimed it and my parents never tried to pass me and, and made sure I was proud of of my ancestry but I didn't get it right I thought my father probably looked like Common or something because I was like you <laughs> good, know good, as, right, as, as fair as I am he probably was pretty fair and so um when I finally met my real father he was very brown skin. and um the crazy part is like he so he was uh running numbers when he was 10 in Harlem um, he moved to New Jersey and he was trying to get away from his family cause you know, his father was whatever. Um, but he, he lied and said that he was 18 when he was 16 and went into the military, fought in the Korean war, got addicted to heroin, came back to the U S was dealing drugs. This is in like whatever the Korean war is like, you know, the fifties, mm-hmm. right? So, um, went to Rikers Island for seven years, gets out. And decides to change his life, becomes an artist, moves to Chicago, and becomes a street artist, which is where he met my biological mother. So she was eighteen, he was thirty-five. Um, he was a pimp for a while. Like what he, kind of artist was he? Uh, portraits. Okay. Okay. Um, so and actually, if you go to the house, there's I have one of his pieces, but um, he was really relatively well known. Like people know of his art. Um, but again, I have no talent. Like my mother could sing, and my I have no talent.
0: You got talent. No, I have no. Talent. I can't draw. Look at anything. your life. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, okay, I got, got brains. Talent. I got brains, but <laughs> I don't.
1: I, I have no creative talent. I have a creative eye. But um, but he was a pimp, like a legit, like had hose pimp. Um, and he was a Muslim, and he actually um, the job he had right before I met him was artist in resident at Malcolm X College. So he was like super, like pro-black militant, you know what I mean? So when I met him, my pendulum went, and I was like, I'm, you know, I started dating this guy from uh, Republic of New Africa, and I was like Marcus Garvey, you know, the whole nine, and then, like, there was a long period of time where I dated a guy who was um, uh, was nation, was was uh, uh, 5%, so I, like, got real militant And I've kind of, you know, I'm kind of middle of the road now, Um, but yeah, I was, I my real father really like shifted my viewpoint once I met him.
0: So how how does that translate to your life now, being a biracial woman, and how how do you, you know, feel in the current climate with, you know, this this the racial tension being up? What what how do you how do you Feel your feel yourself in just being a biracial woman
1: well for me it's it's different because i'm very cognizant of how i look mm-hmm. um but i always will t- say i i really empathize with trans people with, with people who are transsexual because i understand how it feels to be in a body that you don't think you look like or is not isn't familiar to you because who i feel i am and what i look like is different but i'm also very aware of what i look like so um I've never tried to pass. I've never lied to anybody and said I was white, but definitely the white lady has come out when necessary. You know what I'm saying? Like if I have if I if I have to handle business or if I have to get one of my godchildren out of jail or I have to talk to a lawyer or I have to, you know, handle, you know, my 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 income side hustle where I actually make my money, you know, my voice will change, the pitch will change, you know, and and you know, I I Will ride on what the other person's assumption is, right? So, you know, most black people can tell when they meet me or yeah, to talk course, to right, me, whatever. But when you
0: look, look at you. I mean, you could tell you about right. racial. Period. Well, but
1: like, you would be a surprise? There are a lot of people who like don't believe me. I had this one lady at a okay. job. And she would like, carry, <laughs> right. she would like walk me around, and she'd be like, "Oh my god, I just found out! She, did you know she's black? Can you believe it? She's black! I would never have known." Like she really. Was freaked like putting out by. You on the sh- oh yeah, it was like the show. I was, Oh yeah, I was. I was the I was the carnival sideshow, but um, you know. So I mean, I definitely. I'm not going to say I haven't used how I look to my advantage, but I will say typically it's been to the advantage of, the the people of color in my life, right? So you know, obviously my daughter is brown skin. Everybody around me, like I, I'm really not around too many of the Caucasians on a, on a
0: to, social yeah, basis. Yeah, right. I was right right. Saying, when I, when I be around you, it's, it's right. very rare. I think I've made a scene, like one or two right. friends that you had that are white. Well, what the well, thing the that's funny
1: <laughs> is like, even, even my one friend, um, Christy, she's, you know, she's very blonde hair, blue eyed, but her stepfather's black and her siblings are biracial. So, you know, t- same thing with her. You look at her and you make an assumption of her opinions and how she thinks, but that's the kind of people, you know, I, I always, I always talk about my white women on, on Facebook because I have this whole crew of, of females who I've been friends with over, um, you know, the years, every one of them woke every one of them, every one of them is, is, is pro-black pro, you know what I mean? Like they, you know, they are definitely, uh, allies. They're like, I understand my power, my privilege and how I, what I need to do to stand up you know, for my for my sisters of color, my brothers of color. So, you know, the the white people that are, are close to me and around me are basically, you know, have the same mindset and the same cultural understanding that, that yeah, I approach with.
0: Yeah, and I just think in general, I mean if we've had several conversations but like I think in general right now it's to a point where I think things are a lot are changing. Yeah. Like it's is p- people are, are I mean, don't get me wrong, you are you do see the um I would say the the more open racism in the modern day sense of it, because to be honest, it's not nothing with your grandparents or my grandparents. Like a a black man 70 years ago couldn't go out and possibly not return from home and not saying that that doesn't happen now with police brutality and all this other but it was completely different then so it's
1: really interesting because uh, there's some things that are have definitely improved but there's also a lot of places we've gone back so like i said growing up as a kid in the 70s there was this whole freedom and everybody kind of loving each other the other thing too is it is it's very geographical you know, living if you look at California, coastal California, which is Los Angeles or, or San Francisco and stuff, is very is very intermingled and and, and and culturally diverse. But when you get to Orange County or you start going into central, it becomes very ra- very racist and. Um, Colorado like you would think that Colorado would be like oh the mountains and it's great and it's you know there's tree huggers yeah but they all they're super racist that was one of the reasons I wanted I was so happy to move to Charlotte because at least you know who you're dealing with you know what I'm saying like and within within the city proper it's really not that bad comparative to other places um but you you know you get out into to you know uh uh trying to grove and you know salisbury and stuff okay it, it, it starts to get a little different yes, right Tony, but but yeah I guess <laughs> i do but you, <laughs> but the thing is at least you know who you're dealing with you know what i'm saying like one thing i'll say about the south is you know you know who's gonna put on a white a white coat and a white hat you know later on in the day um in in colorado and california it wasn't what it didn't used to be as obvious now under the current administration and the current political climate right. you have people being emboldened. So you have, you know, the guy that sat in the cubicle next to you who used to be like, oh, your kids are so cute, and now he's coming to work with a magna hat on. You know what I'm saying? Like, now people are feeling more comfortable, and and, and it's not even just black-white racism, it's, it's you know, uh, Christian versus Muslim. And the funniest thing is, is, you know, like I mentioned before, my mother was a minister, so my religious knowledge, though I don't claim myself a Christian, is deep, like super deep. And to watch all these people who espouse being Christians and then they behave the way they do, right? So you that's so much more obvious and prevalent than it was in the 70s. Like people just it was it was improper, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there was a lot of racial stuff happening, but you weren't it wasn't it wasn't polite to be racist to somebody's face the way it is now. Yeah, now, I, now now and also I think the internet kind of emboldens people too. I was too. just
0: about to bring that in there. Uh, I I think that you I agree 100% with everything you said. I also think that it's 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 i think that we have been you know sheltered with how racism have been under under the rats for a long time and then now it's been so in, in our face as far as uh well it's it's always been there under the laws and under the right. the, the injustice system so it's always been that there, but as far as the average person, like how you said it being in your face, it's just been it's not it hasn't been that, and now that it's been that, it's kind of I think it shocked the world. Yeah, we just recently had a black president, right? So now from, to go from a black president,
1: but I think honestly, I think that that's part of the um, part of the backlash. I think that me too. You know, I, I had a client, and I um, will never forget. We were talking. You know, I used to do diversity before I started doing the consulting I do now. And I was trying to explain to her like the reasons for diversity, you know, supplier diversity programs and and the motivations. And she said, well, racism's over. We have a black president. And I was like, well, no. And then she called him a sand nigger. She said those exact words. (laughs) And then she said, you do know that he makes Congress bow down to the Muslim God. And I was like, like, first of all, how do you feel comfortable saying this to me? Like we're having this conversation, like it's nothing, but she is what the reason why that man is in office now, The re, you know, because people like her were so, they were so upset. And I think the other thing too, is, is that, um, you know, and this sounds arrogant and obnoxious, but a lot of people are stupid. There's, 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 you know, it's not take a, take away racist, racism and whatever. There's also an intelligence, you know, bandwidth. Right, and I think that there is a a level, and if you know, and I'm sorry if I'm insulting people, but I think there's a level where, if some you feel intimidated by somebody who speaks properly, you feel intimidated by somebody who's smarter than you, and I think that a lot of these people who have have claimed um, the current president as their president do so because he speaks their language. He speaks in very very simple diction the other thing too is is that the majority of politicians in this country start off as lawyers right lawyers have a whole different language they have a whole level of of knowledge Mm -hmm. right and so i feel like a lot of these people in your rural towns or whatever they're like oh i can't stand having somebody smarter than me like they love trump because he speaks to them at their level and he doesn't make them feel stupid i think obama had so much elegance and so much class and such good diction and such good you know what I'm saying like he really was an articulate orator that he he made them feel yeah, bad Obama's about themselves. a player. He, right. He, oh yeah. He was a player. Oh, Michelle lucky. <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. I've been like I've been peeping game on his pictures. I was like, "Damn, Obama. Put, you know, why why, why why why, 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 <laughs> you, why you got so much swag?" Like and I think but I think that that really you know, they people like to feel superior. So when you could sit there and feel superior to the president, because he's obviously got a very basic rudimentary kindergarten education um, and can't, you know, speak a proper sentence. Um, I think that it, it makes them feel good about themselves. Right. And I think that when Obama was in office, they people felt like uh, like they felt like they were terrible. And then and then on top of it, he's black. But, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Mm-hmm. So, OK. With knowing about your upbringing, um, you also mentioned that you lived in Colorado. Colorado was that for the work that you? Did? Yeah, I was okay. relocated.
1: I got I got hired um, by a company, um, and they moved me there. And then that's how I ended up here too. As I had a, a, as a company hired me and relocated me here.
0: Okay, yeah, because so. I was about to ask you what was got your transition there. So what? I mean, you you mentioned when uh, Ryan had was living down the street, came right. to the house. And that that relationship formed. Right. When when was it when they went from UFO to what you know now, what we know now is the dojo and what people know you of as Miss Amy?
1: Well, so the house where the dojo is, um, I actually bought that house because I needed space because I was taking care of my mother. And she um, couldn't go up and down the stairs at my other house. So I had to find a house that had a downstairs bedroom. And so I bought the house. Um, my mother lived with me, my grandmother lived with me. And um, when they both passed away, well, when my, when my grandmother passed away first, and then when my mother passed away, um, I needed somebody to help take care of the house. And so, you know, I had somebody move in, um, and then that kind of started everything. And that's where Forever FC started. Um, so then because it was just me and Deja, my daughter at the house, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the caretaking. The other thing too is, is that the way the house was laid out, um, that space that was my mother's, I actually had had a room addition. So what, what you call the dojo had been my mother's apartment basically. So it's two rooms, um, that I had for her. So, that space became like kind of open when, when, she was gone. And so that ended up is what tur- we turned into the studio, into the dojo. Um, and then, like I said, you know, people just kind of came on. So first it was UFO. Um, then it was freshman class, which was Jimmy Rell and, and loot And then they put Ryan on a song and then that became forever FC, which, you know, really wasn't a group as much as a collective because all four of them had their own thing. thing. They all had independent projects. Um, but they worked so well as a group that we kind of marketed that. Um, and then, you know, and then at the time that's when TDE first came out. So it was kind of the same, you know, the same thing as ASAP or TDE where, you know, a bunch of, of, of like-minded, you know, people work together so that's so so some people think forever fc was a group it never was a group it was more of a brand and a collective that they were you know and and the plan had been um to have that beat we had uh, fc music right so that was the label and then we transitioned it once forever fc kind of disbanded we transitioned it to eighty nine ten music so i still own the record label i still have a label um i don't have any artists really on it i've i've kind of pulled myself out of the day-to-day management activities um but you know i can still do distribution if i want to um i definitely am still like i said at the beginning i'm still you know the oracle with the cookies where people come and talk to me and you know i I, i've gathered a lot of knowledge about the record industry in the last six years well no shoot it's been like 10 years now gosh
0: that's a long time
1: so yeah y'all are old now huh y'all was coming over when you was babies and all y'all all all 'all Mm -hmm. y'all Hitting that big three zero.
0: Yeah, I'm about to be thirty in a woof, couple of years. Yup, in a couple of years, It's gonna. Well,
1: some of some people are already past oh, thirty. Yeah, you know, yeah,
0: right, right. But I mean, they let them be old heads right yeah, now. I ain't gonna I'm gonna name names. Be, yeah, I'm gonna, gonna name still names. be a young boy right now. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, with Forever FC and the success you've had with that, um, what would you? What was the, uh, the the point where you knew that you had something good with those guys with cultivating their talent? So, well, so many, so many right moments.
1: Words. First of all, like I said, I have an ear and I'm a hip hop head. So I, you know, I analyze music. I, I know what good beats are. I know what good lyrics are. I know who can, if you can ride a beat, if you've got, you know, cadence, if you've got tone, if you've got, I mean, there's so many things that go into being a good rapper. And. You know anybody who knows me will know that if I hear a song and it hits, I'll start to cry. I'll be like, "This is the best thing I've ever heard." Um, <laughs> so, no so sense. there was. I mean, there, but I mean, all of them were <laughs> amazingly talented. You know, Rail did "Foreign Places." Um, that was an amazing project. Um, Jimmy did um, "City of Gods." Um, what's interesting though is, is you know. My, City of my, God's, that's
0: when I that's, that's, Sorry to cut that's, you off, but that's when I got on onto your, yeah, City of Gods was fire. City, City of Gods yeah. to this day
1: and the thing <laughs> that's crazy fire. is, you know, I, I didn't listen to any of their music for a few years and now with the shop being open and me being kind of getting back in the groove, I've been listening and all of their music still holds today like all of it still stands today is still amazing and I think the, by my biggest, I can't even say it's a regret because nothing I did wrong, but I wish that people would have listened to me and taken me seriously because had they followed my directive, so many things could have gone better. You know what I mean? Case in point, you know, samples or production. Um, and granted some of the best songs, you know, DUI, the song you're on, is like an amazing song. We never could do anything with it because the production was owned by somebody else and we couldn't, we couldn't get it from them. Right. right. So, you know, if I would have, I mean, I think I understood new enough to be able to say, Hey, don't use sampled music. Don't, you know, I was saying that back before it was even a thing like now everybody kind of accepts it. But back then, um, I mean, it's crazy. Now I have, I, I have, you know, friends in the industry that I could get things cleared today that I couldn't have gotten cleared before. But, um, I mean, everybody, I can't think of a bad song that, you know, if you go back and listen to the 704 project that they did, that was, a, that was the Forever FC project. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back and listen to, well, there, so, so Ryan has one song. It's not a bad song, but there's like this ding in the beginning of the production that always gets on my nerves. Um, but it's still a good song. His project's good. Friday is an amazing project. Friday is like, and and I I pride myself because I executive produced it. You know what I mean? Like and and and. People you don't really... All,
0: un- all these bags, well, I see. <laughs> well, no, but the thing is, is
1: people don't realize, like, what, it, you know, what a producer is in hip-hop is different than what a producer is in rock music. If you watch that um, Deciders uh, documentary with Dre and, and, and Jimmy Iovine, Jimmy Iovine's a producer. He doesn't make any music, mm-hmm. but he produces music because of, you know, you know what I mean? Like, he arranges it and all that stuff. And that's what I did, what I did with Friday. J- Ryan had done... You know a bunch of really great songs but none of them really they 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 were thematically different right their beat even the bpms were different and so we sat down and i said you know what there's a story here and so we put them in story order right instead of musical order and then we spliced in um, we spliced in skits to tie them together, and it's a whole story. If you listen to that from start to finish, and it's a funny story, right? It's basically the story of, of Ryan borrowing Lute's car, and then loot falls asleep in the car, and him and Jimmy kidnap loot and take him to New York <laughs> to go buy weed. But, like, you have to listen to the whole thing to get that story, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, city again, I said City of Gods. That's probably one of my favorites. But everybody did amazing Amazing work that still stands, and you know that's I think what I'm proud of. I wish that it was it was all happening now because all eyes are on Charlotte right now. Yes, it is. God bless yes, the baby. It, but
0: um, but you know, you were a pioneer of what inspired a lot of people, whether they knew Forever FC or what you were doing directly. It was a time, it was a time period in Charlotte when everyone was like, okay, it was the older generation of the and, and I don't really mean older in the sense where they are uh, their time was past or anything right. like that but they were just older than us right, in right, age right. Uh, the s dubs the king carters the uh, mr, mr. 704, 704. yeah like all all of those uh, people in uh, royalty at the time like a, a lot of those people were um, they they we were just a new scene that came on to it. We were the the people that watched them and were inspired by them. I mean, because we knew knew a lot of those people that I just named like directly. So when we came up, it was just, it was a perfect time.
1: Well, I think, you know, um, Milan Hightower, shout out to GT. Um, he did an interview. Um, I want to say like a year ago with, um, this is 50. And he brought me up in the, in the interview. And he said that I coined the term lyrical trap, which I will, probably claim I did. But the reason I, I, I came up with that was because people would always ask us, what's the Charlotte sound? And what I realized, and again, I, I study it, right? I'm, I, I don't just talk off the top of my head. It, with the people that you named were very Southern, right? It was a very Southern sound. If you go back to P.D. Pablo and you know all of that, 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 was a, that was a whole sound in and of itself. The sound that we, and I say we as if I'm making music, but that Forever FC came out with and Moolah and, you know, all the Elevator J and all of that, um, even, even you know, you bring De Niro in, um, all of that came about because there's such a New York influence. And I think it's, you know, if, if, I, if I add my, my uh, sociology study into it, when I came to Charlotte in 2000, there was this huge wave of... of new people moving to the city. So you had um, all of these companies, right? So the company that relocated me, the banks and all this, were bringing people in from all around, a lot of them from New York. Most of those people were y'all's parents, right? So a lot of kids were brought here. Ryan moved here when he was six because his mama had a job at TIA Cref and they moved from New York here, right? He's a quintessential example of that. And I, so I think what happened is there's this huge New York flavor influence on your specific age group right not the mr. 704s and 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 royalties but your specific age group had this very new york influence so also that's true too. and that's and also too you have this trap sound coming out of atlanta around the same time so the influence that you guys got was atlanta and new york so you get the lyricism and the and a little bit of the boom bap coming from here but then you get this trap coming in here and it it intersected in, in Charlotte and i think that was the theme that's really tied it together and then if you take the baby he's kind of you know what i mean like he's that, he, he's that because the people he's got bounce right so people can bounce in the club to it and stripper you know if, if a stripper can twerk you got to hit that's Basically. all there is to it, right? You, you, yes, you, yes, either, yes. either you sing along, yes. either you sing along in your car or the stripper can twerk her ass. You yep. got a hit. But a lot of that music was very vapid, was very lacking in content lyrically. You get all this New York stuff coming down where it's all about punchlines, it's all about metaphors. And so now you have people because you know, people have the baby because they can bounce and they can watch his videos and laugh but he's saying something right people love loot Luke because loot's got crazy lyrics but loot can ride any kind of beat i've heard mm-hmm. loot you know loot's got his niche but i've heard him on trap beats before right i've got i've got the secret tapes i've got the secret tapes i'm not putting them out there but i've got i've got i've got them in my vault but you know i think that um, rappers in Charlotte especially have done that. And I think, you know, if we could do it again and and put music out again, um, you know, I keep telling Ryan, you need to you, today's the day. Like you need to jump on this. Jimmy says he's not gonna rap anymore, so you know, but he's but he's making beats like crazy, right? He's so, a super
0: producer. He's a super producer. I'm telling them I'm so, putting a stamp on it right now. Right. He's yeah. a super producer. Like <laughs> one of these da-
1: one of these days we're gonna have a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that um you know, now is the time. And, and, you know, to tie this kind of back into the store, that's part of... I didn't realize it when I decided to open the store. Um, you know, you didn't even ask me the question, but I'm going to tell the
0: story anyways. Good. I'm, no, a, I'm just going to take the, over. I know the, you talk back, what, but I'm yeah, taking but over. Yeah, but this is the good conversation um, that, this is, is, that I wanted this to be. For <laughs> but,
1: real. But the, the store is... a my, my house is 140 steps. Like, you walk out that door and walk 140 steps, you're going to be at my house. Um, this... The reason i got this space was because there was a point where i had eight people living in my house right so all of forever fc and all their girlfriends and all the strays and people whose parents kicked them out and people <laughs> then who didn't have no place to be and you know and i paid for people's phones and god only knows what i did that was crazy um, so, you know, I had eight people, I, I had, right. <laughs> um, I had eight people living in my house and I was like, there's too many people. So I used to drive by these spaces and be like, yo, this would be a great space because I could put the studio downstairs and have office downstairs and people could live upstairs cause it's a three bedroom. And, um, and I would just, you know, I, I'm a big, big manifester, I put stuff out and it happens crazy. So I would drive back and forth. So this summer, um, I actually had a really good year financially, so I had had a little bit of money. And I remember uh, my daughter and I went to Switzerland, and we were sitting there, and I'm like, "Oh, when we get home, I'm gonna buy a Tesla. Like, I'm just gonna buy a Tesla. I, I'm 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 gonna stack up and get a Tesla. This shop is my Tesla. Because um, two weeks after we got back, I'm driving down the street, and there's a sign that one of these spaces is available, which they never never. Hardly ever is the upstairs and downstairs both available. Usually it's just the downstairs or just the upstairs. And so I hit them up and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we worked it out. I got the space and I had no idea what I was going to do with it. Like at first I was like, oh, I'll make a smoke shop so I, I don't have to. I can get backwoods wholesale. Right. Because the uh, the backwoods budget in my house is insane. Um, we are 420 friendly. <laughs> um, so um, then I was like, oh, Maybe I'll do a tea shop or, you know, and I didn't really know what I was creating here. And this literally has been little ideas popping in my head. But now that it's kind of put together, I realized I kind of recreated the dojo here just without the smoking. And I did it, one, as a place of community. Yeah, I would love for people to come buy Funko Pops and DCCIV shirts. And, you know, Fagos. That that's, would be great. That's going to
0: happen, honestly. Please, please
1: come and buy stuff from <laughs> yeah, my shop. There you go. But it's yeah. also been a place for people to come and hang out and talk and meet each other and connect people. Um, uh, Jamonte, a.k.a. Callis, had his listening party here. And we had a good 50 probably people. And a lot of them had never met each other. Um, Lillian Blanche just had her birthday Um, private invitation party here and a bunch of people came and who had never met each other. So I feel like it's
0: the the culture. I'm sorry to cut you off, but you also allowed the Sanctuary podcast in here Yes, I have (laughs) allowed the podcast to be here. Um, But
1: it's, you know, I say it's a hip hop culture shop because the vibe that I want to have is very hip hop and the products that I have is very hip hop related. But it's also a gathering place that as far as I know, really doesn't exist in this city. I know that Camp North End has some some shops and people kind of gather there, but Camp North End is also at the whole other side of town. I'm in North Charlotte, so I'm closer to um, Concord Mills, um, Mallard Creek High School, North Mech High School. Um, I'm actually even closer to UNCC than Camp North End is, you know, distance-wise. So this is, you know... I'm not going to say it's the only place for people to hang out in the whole city. That's not true. But it's the only place of its kind in this side of town. And, you know, the concept, I think, is is very different. I don't – I've not really been any place where you can sit and hang out, right? Most places you can come and shop and you can come get some shoes and you can get a couple T-shirts – but you're not going to chill and hang out like, have and, things to eat, and have, like, you know, snacks, and, 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 like... and watch TV. You know, <laughs> right. we play videos. I have a I have a, a, a you know, 1970s era turntable stereo. Um I just you see my boom box. I just got a boom box. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, right there. Yeah. yeah cause, well, and the reason I got it is because I had the cassettes and I'm like, I just have all these cassettes sitting here because they look cool. But I want to play them. I want to, you know. I've got, I, and I actually think I have some mixed cassettes from like the eighties at my house. I might come. That you like,
0: made yourself. Yeah.
1: What are you talking about? I got, <laughs> I got a, oh, look, If look, you, I got, I, think I, got, it color, is, I, look, I got color it me bad over there. What are you talking about? I got the time over there. I got, okay. um, yeah, I got, I got, I got the classics. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wish I still had my CDs. I had a whole bunch of CDs and they got stolen. Cause I, this is so crazy. I dated this guy who, this is like the fourth time I've said I've dated a guy. Um, But I did this guy, and he worked for a record label. This was in like 1985, and I had the promo copy of EPMD paid in full. No, that's Eric B. and Rakim. No, I had EPMD and I had Eric B. and Rakim. I had both of them. But they were like, back in the day with, with vinyls, if you had the promo copy, they would cut it. Like the thing, so you'd have like a cut in it, so you'd always know it was a promo, promo. copy, right? And so what they would do is they would give the A and R guys the promo copies to pass out. And I used to have promo copies yeah, of like. Yeah, you're telling oh, me
0: something new. I don't. Yeah, yeah. That was that was before my time. I'm old head. Yeah, I, 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 I was alive, obviously, but I wasn't, <laughs> you know, able to be maneuvering. That oh no, way, I so. was
1: maneuvering. I was, I was. It's a, like, it's so crazy. I didn't understand what I was experiencing at the time I experienced it. But like, one of one of my great stories is that. I went to see DJ Quick in concert because I was a huge fan. I love DJ Quick. And uh, I went to go see him in Long Beach at a concert, and the opening act was Dre and Snoop before Snoop had dropped Doggy Style. And he brought Snoop out. Like, Dre was the opening act, and he brought Snoop out because they had just finished recording. Wow. And, and, like, I was there. And then I also saw um, Wu-Tang before 36 Chambers dropped because they came to L.A., and did it. So I used to like go to concerts all the time and I had no idea like the historical, you know, significance of what I was doing at the time. I probably would have gotten better T-shirts or something if I would have, if I would have known that. But
0: well, let me ask you this. So you because currently, obviously, you're busy with the shop. Um, What, what made you step away from the music? PTSD. <laughs> do, do you care to talk about the PTSD? Um, I
1: mean, I it's really painful. Um, I put a lot of my time, an enormous amount of my money, all of my love and all of my energy um, into people. And it. I think retrospectively people appreciate it. There's, there's people who have come back and said that they appreciated the stuff that I did. Um, but I think that, and again, this is retrospectively, I think that I was dealing with a lot of children at the time. you got to figure, you know, the, when Ryan first came in my house, he was 14, and he's 30 now. Um, so, and not saying that Ryan was a problem Ryan was a child. I'm just saying he was the, he, he, I, I no, he, he no, the first one. He was the first, yeah, right was the first you, person you, you, through the door. Right, right. Um, and so, it, and also, I have to take into account the black male ego, right? Um, God bless y'all, and I love, I love my black men. But y'all got some issues sometimes, right? And I think that um, and, and then all, you know the whole I'm an artist and I, I'm sensitive about my shit, right? So you take all of those things into account, and you have people who had no idea what they were doing. And I'm not saying that I knew exactly what I was doing, but I had been around a little bit longer. I read a lot, and I, I, I experience. I, and, I, and I had a, a natural inclination towards how things should go. So even, even the thing like with samples, me saying, hey, don't use samples, and people saying, well, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Okay, well, then you suffer the consequences of it. You can't be mad at me that your song can't be played on the radio because you didn't wanna to listen to me. Or, you know, and like I said, I realize now I was more of a record label because managers don't put money into artists, right? If you, if you go listen to Wendy Day, and if, if I have one piece of advice to everybody who watches this, Go to um, Wendy Day on YouTube and watch her 2020 Vision series because it's will tell you everything you ever want to know about the music industry. You can learn from her, but um, you know if you one of the things she talks about is what the manager's role is. And the manager is not supposed to fund your career. They're not supposed to pay for your studio time. They're not supposed to pay for your clothes. They're not supposed to pay for your flight to New York or any of those things. That's what the record label does. So I initially called myself a manager and had this idea that I was a manager, but really I was a record label. That being said, when the record label is paying you, you do what the record label says, right? You don't necessarily do what your manager says because technically speaking, your manager is supposed to work for you. Mm-hmm. But that means you're paying your manager. So if you're not paying me and I'm paying you, then you work for me, right? And I don't think that that was ever fully understood or discussed because the whole thing started out of love and the whole thing started out of, of the godmother scenario of I'm a nurturer and I'm going to take care of right, you and I'm going to became
0: business. So. Right.
1: Well, there's, you know, and, and, and one of the, the complaints though, that I, that I had gotten was that I was too personal, that I, that I, I couldn't separate the personal and the business. My thing is if you are under the age of 25 or even 30, you have never worked in business, right? The, the only job you ever had was Walmart or, or, you know, delivering newspapers, you can't talk to me about what business is supposed to be.
0: Right. right? No, I completely understand. Right. And I
1: always used to use the story that I was, you know, when I worked for a a multi-billion dollar company, I was sitting in uh, a meeting with the CEO of the company and he got mad and he picked up a computer and threw it against the wall. So me stomping up the stairs and slamming a door because I'm mad doesn't mean I'm lack professionalism or doesn't mean that I'm not about business, right? People are people. You're always going to deal with people and business and people's personalities. Not saying that my door slamming was the best of my character. Or, or even if you're trying to
0: justify it, but right, I get completely understand right, what you're saying. But,
1: but you can't sit there and say that I don't know how to handle business or I am not professional because one time I got mad at you and I slammed the door, right? Um, so I think, you know, what happened was I had an expectation of if I am, managing your career, not your manager, but managing your career, which as the record label, that's what I'm doing. I'm making sure that you have opportunities. I'm making sure that you're in the right place at the right time. I'm making sure the bills get paid. I'm making sure, right? I'm making sure all these things are happening. My expectation that you let me know when you book a show is not out of line. My expectation that you follow the plan that we've put together, because we've sat down and we've had a plan and we've said, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And then you decide to just go off on your own and do your own thing without even having enough respect to talk to me. That's a problem. Right. And I think that um, there was a lack of respect for me. I don't know if it was because of my age. Oh, she's so old. She doesn't know. She doesn't understand, you know, I think people now, like I said, I think now that y'all have all grown up, there's a there's a new appreciation for me that wasn't there when everybody was 17.
0: Yes. And I think it's just to just only interject on that part, because I think that when you're young and you're immature and you don't know things, you don't first appreciate yourself. So you in return, you can't really appreciate something that someone else is doing for you all, all the way. You, it's just, it's hard to do. Like, it's, it's even now where I still t- tell you to this day, I thank you for things that you've done for me a long time ago. And that you right. continue to now because I've grown to realize, oh, first of all, she don't have to do anything. Be appreciative. And it's just, it's it's just simple as that. Just be appreciative. And so, I, think, I, mean, I
1: think that's what I think that's what, to your point about, um, I don't have to do anything. I don't think that that was really understood. I have a, I have one child. I have one biological child. That's the only person who I owe anything to. The damn near half million dollars that I have invested in the youth of Charlotte, in any at any given time, and the rappers in Charlotte. And there's you know there's more than Forever FC that came through yeah, my sure, door sure. that I invested in financially. For there to be anything negative said about me. Or, you know, one of the things that came back to me was that I like to control everything. Oh, don't don't deal with Miss Amy because she likes to control everything. You know what? At one point I was like apologetic for that. Today, fuck that. Yeah, I'm going if I'm putting money, if I'm paying for your studio time, sir, yes. <laughs> then yes. I have the right to listen to that music and give you my opinion. One thing I will say is I never dictated anybody's creativeness, right? I would give my feedback and I would say, Hey, you know what, your voice sounds this way, or maybe you might want to try this, or but ultimately every artist that has ever come through my door who who had me manage them or was on the label, whatever, you still get to do whatever you want to do creatively. That being said, I don't have to put any more money behind it, right? If if your song is trash and I think your song is trash and it's not gonna go anywhere, you can't demand that I pay for your video to get done, right? Or if... I mean, if, the record label
0: wouldn't do that. Though. Exactly. If he, was, if he was signed to a major label and they didn't think that the song would be good, they're not going to put money behind
1: exactly. it. Exactly. And Let's you know the budget. You know, the <laughs> thing that would kill me is I had one artist who complained that they didn't want to come to my house to have conversations with me because I lived too far out. My thing is, if, you, if Jimmy Iovine signs you, are you going to tell Jimmy Iovine that he has to take an Uber to come visit you? No, you're going to get in your car and go to the Warpoint. the label offices. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the label offices, you know, on Broadway. I know where Universal Music Group offices are. You're going to go there and have those conversations, right? So I think that that was and, – and I will take full responsibility that I did not – I was so focused on being the loving godmother that I didn't um, – explain to people, like I assumed that people understood that, right? I assumed that if you knew that if I was investing money in you, that I got to have a say in what happened, or you should never have taken my money, right? And a lot of people owe me money still, like a lot. That being said, I'm not sending out invoices because I made, that was my choice to do that. My choice was to invest in you and to do that. Now, the fact that you still can't say thank you, the fact that you can't say you're sorry, the fact that you can't, um, speak well of me in the community is a problem i think but like i said there's a lot of people especially in this last year that have come back and said those things have come back and said i'm sorry have come back and said you know what now that i'm out in the world i see what everything you warned me about and i realize how right you are that's all i wanted you know what i'm saying like i don't i don't necessarily want the money back though if you make it big and this you know jumps off I would expect a check. Thank you very much. I'm not saying I'm not taking donations and money and reimbursement, but that's not my, but but, but that's that's my expectation. You know what I mean? Like you just saying that you appreciate me. Then I'm like, okay, it wasn't wasted. It wasn't lost what I did. Um, But yeah, to to answer your question, I, I think that I was so hurt and so devastated by not just the rejection and the removal of people, but, what I found out later was said about me, that P- there was a point in time where nobody would talk to me. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't make any moves. I had, you know, a lot of my connections just dried up and disappeared. Come to find out it was because they were said, things were said about me, you know, like, like the whole, it's kind of like in Hollywood when the blacklist happened, you know what I mean? It was like that. And, and I never, I could never understand what I did that was so wrong. Like, what did I do to you that was so horrible and terrible when I paid your phone bill, I gave you a roof over your head, I fed you, I took you on trips, I showed you things that you would have never seen if you had not been a part of my life. For years, for you to to, to go around and, and say things about me and try to ruin me and destroy all chances I had of living my dream, which was to be involved in music, um, I completely pulled back and I just focused on my daughter, I focused on making money. There was a point in time where where I you know, I'm a consultant, so if I don't have clients, I don't have money. There was a point in time I had spent so much effort on the music side that I hadn't been cultivating the client side and I had a good six, eight months of no income. Right. That was devastating, especially because had I been banking and being a good little squirrel and holding on to my money instead of paying for people to go to New York and Miami and, you know, concerts and whatnot, um, I would have been fine. Um, So I I spent years kind of focusing on getting that financial, you know, uh, base back up again. And I worked for it with a few artists here and there and I got burned again. You know, I mean, it wasn't just one time. It was a number of times that I got burned. Um, But I feel like now this shop kind of fulfills what I wanted to do for the community um, without me having to be invested in any person. Right. Right.
0: And I was just I was just going to bring bring that up because, I mean, I was going to say that all the pain that you uh, endured. then does the shop give you you know, re- re- restore that joy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wish, you know, what I'm hoping, we have the grand opening next week. Well, the week. corner. I'm not going to yeah. call
0: it the shop anymore. The, the corner. We,
1: we call it the shop at, home, yeah, at the yes, home. Right, we do. Right, we call right, it the well. shop. People but need to know what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's the corner um, at the corner CLT if you, you want go. to find us on, on social media. Um, the grand opening is a week from Saturday. Well, today is the 20th, right? Yes. Okay. No, so no I today's the 19th. Today's the so 19th. I, so I don't know when this will be broadcast, but... Um, the 29th is the grand opening. Um, the, uh, we have the tiniest art gallery in the south um, in within within the building um, and we're having distorted do which is which is a you know crazy circle of life. Um, back when I was trying to brand uh, Bugouti House, which is the parent company of, of the record label, um, I sponsored Distorted's show. Um, at one, at 12 12. 12, 12.
0: Okay. I didn't know you. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, so was there. I was there. I was
1: there too. Every, always. That was, that was, that was, that was an interesting night. Yeah. Yes. Um, to say the least. So, so she, so we, I knew of her and she knew of me. And so she's going to do the first gallery show, um, starting on the Thursday. And then, um, Saturday is our grand opening. So it's open to the public. Um, and I'm hoping after that, that once word gets out, that people know it's here, um that I'll start seeing faces come through right and that's good you know even even the people who have come through so far you know I've had at least four or five people who I haven't seen in years right so um there was a guy who came through I, I want to say it was Rizzy Raps came through then he was like miss Amy like I haven't seen you in years and I was like yeah I was being a hermit but um you know it, it's been nice to kind of reconnect with a lot of the people cuz I that's one thing I love Charlotte I you know I've got Charlotte gear galore, DCCIV means seven Oh four. So, um, you know, I, I love representing the city. I love elevating the city and being able to help any creative. Now, now it's not, that's one thing that's, that's, that's nice about the shop is now it's not just music. Now it's artists. No. Okay. Um, now it's, it's artists. It's any creatives, um, you know, taggers, um, you know, people who do spoken word, um, singers, you know anybody can come through here and have a space to do what they want to do. So, so yes, I guess in answer to your
0: question. Okay, well, I'm, you did you did answer my question. I mean, honestly, it, it's it seems like we've covered Miss Amy. I mean, we <laughs> we got got your upbringing. I mean, views on the current social climate. Uh, we little bit of that. I mean, it's not a political show, so we won't right. get into, into into any of that. But just. We've we've covered Miss Amy. I Yay. mean, yes, yes. Uh, thank you for w- what you do. Thank you for continuing to do continuing to do what you do uh, with the with the corner. Um, also, just w- with your kind and good heart. Thank so, you. Yeah, for, so.
1: Thank you for the appreciation because it means a lot.
0: Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. But uh, I mean, you you know what it is. You know what it ain't. It's your boy Flash Ray. You know my name. You know my gang. And I'm out. So thank you, Miss Amy. Bye. We out of here. <music>